Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a Motherhood Feels podcast. I'm Dr. Jill Garrett, a licensed psychologist who specializes in perinatal mental health and host of Hindsight is 2020. Today, I welcome the first couple to the podcast with seasoned parents of two, Sally Pressman and David Rogers. Though I knew David back in our time at the University of Virginia and in our former New York City days, it had been a couple of decades since we last chatted. Listen in as we catch up. He offers up his fatherhood insights and shares an update on his career as an actor, writer, editor, musician, and closet oboe player. Sally, the second half of this dynamic and accomplished duo, comes to the table with motherhood insights, acting and producing chops, Tracy Anderson method honed strength, and an affinity to support and adopt the animals of May Day Rescue, an organization she holds close to her heart. As you are only listening in to these two, I feel obliged to share that both Sally and David are easy on the eyes, but their personable and down-to-earth spirit, coupled with their quick wit and openness, were my favorite parts of this LA-based couple to watch. Check out the show notes for social links for Sally and David, links to some of their favorite activities and organizations, and a YouTube link I stumbled upon of David and his co-star singing The Fugitive on the hit TV show Nashville. And one last note, these two are true professionals, sitting down to chat despite a last-minute power outage in their home, a chirping smoke alarm, and interruptions from their senior dog, Joey. All of that and more, next. Hey guys, it's me, Jill. If you are interested in integrating more support for moms, dads, and families into your healthcare system or business, please contact Motherhood Feels at motherhoodfeels at gmail.com. The Motherhood Feels supports include Before Baby Boot Camp, an online self-paced course and downloadable workbook that offers education, evidence-based coping skills, an opportunity to create a personalized coping plan, and resources for new and expectant parents. Check out motherhoodfeels.com for a sneak peek of the course and to check out my newly published rhyming storybooks with healthy mental health and safe sleep messages, Motherhood Feels M is for Mom and Fatherhood Feels D is for Dad. Both the course and the storybooks can be personalized to your healthcare system or corporation. And as per usual, help this podcast grow by subscribing on Apple and Spotify. You can find me on social at Motherhood Feels. Thanks for listening. Hi, Sally. Hi, David. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. I am so glad to see you, David and Sally. And David, I will share that I know you from college, but I would love to hear you guys share a little bit about yourselves. You can duke it out as to who goes first. My name is Sally. I am born and raised in New York City, and then I moved to Los Angeles in 2004, I met David in an acting class in 2004. We started dating in 2004. Um, In 2005, 
I booked a job that took me 3,000 miles away to Charleston, South Carolina, where I shot on and off for six and a half years. Um, when that was over, we almost immediately got pregnant with our first. And um, I think I'm going into way too much stuff. But basically, we have two kids. We've been married for um, 12 years and together for 18. Well, wow. before... Before David has a turn, I will just pause and mention that it seems that 2004 was a red letter year for you. 2004 was really everything. 2004, could we just all go back to 2004? We had no idea what was coming down the pipe. Well, and now you have two children. Can you give us the ages? Yeah, sure. Um, Our son, who was born in 2013, is 10, and then our daughter is. and then, sorry, our our fifteen year old dog over there is um, having some issues. Anyway, um, our son is ten, and our daughter is five. Ten and five—that's a good spread. It was not what I thought we were going to do, and we'll get to this obviously more in the podcast. But we were really rocked by going from zero to one. Um, that life change was completely unexpected. And we knew we wanted a second, but we really held off until Josh was four and a half. And he was like, where's my sister? When is my sister getting? He was old enough that his friends had siblings and he started acting for it. Um, And we were both two years or within two years of our closest sibling. She has one brother. I have two brothers, but I'm I'm less than two years from my older brother, and she's less than two from her brother. And we had a unified front on, let's have a little more gap there yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, and then he was old enough to start asking about it. Like, if you get to the heart of everything that's wrong with me, it's that no one cleared it with me that I was being um, moved over to make room for another child in the house. Sure. Well, let me get to David and giving us a little background on who you are, David Clayton Rogers. Yes, I'm David Clayton Rogers. That's what my name is. But professionally, (laughs) there were other David Rogers in the, not even in the acting guild, I think just IMDb. Um, David Rogers, who's, who's the editor of the American office. And so, so your name used to pop up on The Office every episode. An actor, David Rogers. So I went with David Clayton Rogers. If anyone who's acting that has three names, it's just because there was another one. They're like, well, I was going to be this, but there's another guy already. Um, and then I, uh, I've i been out here for 20 years acting. And um, last we hung out would have been in New York, where I was doing theater there. Um, and then... Um, I've worn a lot of different hats since then. I actually do edit now. Um, same, same. David Rogers, yeah. the editor of The Office. I'm aspi- and he's now a, a producer on shows. So I'm actually aspiring to be that David Rogers. Following in his footsteps. I'm easily distracted, like <laughs> the issue with our dog right now. Yeah, so let's uh, pause for a second. The dog, 15-year-old dog. Yes. Estimated. We- so we rescued him. We rescued him as a senior dog because who rescues a senior dog? No one. So I was like, 
no one is going to rescue this poor thing. He was, we were told eight. Our daughter had just been born like four months before. Leading up to her coming into the world, Sally really wanted another dog. We had a dog for 12 years, totally our first kid. She had passed away. And so like Sally is eight months pregnant and like, what about this one? This one needs a home. No, we're about to give another home to someone else. So then I had the baby and like two months later, I was like, okay, but so now? She was like, remember that guy I showed you before? He's actually still around. No one's taking him. Anyway, so he was, we were told eight at the time, but his sister-in-law is a vet and we brought him to Atlanta for Christmas one year. This was like two years after we had adopted him and she was like, He's not 10. There's no way he's 10. But we think he's somewhere now between 13 and 15. Anyway, so he's got his issues over here to the side. Well, if you need to manage him in any way, let me know. Um, Let me ask you, you mentioned your first child rocked your world. Yes. So give me the definition of rocked your world. I'm going to let you take it first. For me, there's a... There's something that I wish someone had told me, which was for the man in the equation, the first kid being born, there's not always an immediate, oh my gosh, you, I love you. And I will always, we drove back from the hospital and I remember looking in the rearview mirror and I'll tell my son now because I, I literally couldn't live him more, but I'll tell him wow. at the time, what did I say? Live him. Live him, live him more. Maybe that's what I meant I to say. I feel like I that's more like a Freudian slip. Yeah, I couldn't. I could not live him anymore. Um, I, I looked in the rearview mirror and I was like, "Who is this? Who's this guy? Like, I'm coming home with a stranger who's going to live with me forever or be a part of my life forever." That immediate mega bond had not happened at that point. And no one had ever told me that. So I have, I have told that to people since then, to dads who are expecting of like, don't feel bad if right away you're not like, I'll die for you, buddy. You know, you, you it's, it's, this is a new person. It's entirely a new person. So that was a starting point that really surprised me. And then as far as like rock your world, like in the younger days, I mean, just a complete disruption of everything. But that's also where that bond started to build. And so, you know, beautiful things are happening as well to supplant the disruption. Um, By the time that he was old enough to ask for a sibling, I would say to him, just give me one day where nothing crazy happened. Give me one day where something doesn't break. Right now, I I can't conceive of conceiving because he was so much. And there's so much amazing in there as well. There was so much magic, so much laughter, but it was just, he was turned up to 25 out of 10 all the time. And it was just like, there's not room in my brain, let alone in my house, you know? Yeah, totally. I totally get that. And you mentioned the piece about not feeling 100% connected from the get-go as a dad And interestingly, I 
first of all, hear that a lot with dads, but with moms too, even if they've been carrying the baby for nine months and then they deliver and they're like, oh my gosh, this is supposed to be magical. The movies and the shows, they make it seem like now it's instant bonding and it's not always the case. And then we actually start feeling guilt and shame because we don't have that, which makes a already hard time period harder. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're going through a huge, huge change. And when our daughter came along, I did feel that more immediately because I've already become a parent. I also will say it could be a gender thing because my dad, he's more practically paternal and like protect and whatever. Because I was the firstborn and I was a girl, there was a very special, immediate, Thing that he felt. And there might be some gender thing of like a dad has a boy versus a dad has a girl. And you might have experienced that with Chloe, but she was second born. It's it's totally possible. I just had to throw something at our dog who is like gnawing at his paws if it's a bone. So I just but it was it it was a it was a Palo Santo stick. So I mean there's something woo-woo and uh, he has a thick sweater on. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not abuse. Don't report me. No no reports being made. I will also go back to what you said, David, about the you couldn't even conceive of conceiving because of how and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but maybe chaotic or just out of sorts or out of kind of the regular routine life becomes after you have a baby toddler child. And what do you think it was that made you feel like, all right, let's do this again? I think we had a plan of let's have two. Yeah. Um, we want. We always knew we wanted to. Joey, stop. Joey, stop. Sorry. Um, I think he said also like having both come from families with siblings, it was really never something debatable for either, either of us that we weren't going to have a second. It was just a question of when. And luckily, we hadn't backed ourselves into an age problem. I know a lot of moms and a lot of my friends who their first babies are, they are older in age already. So they have to get on the train with the second one, like immediately because they, the time is running out. So we luckily did not have that. We knew we wanted it. A lot of our friends had already cranked out the second one. Um, and Josh, ask for one. That was like, okay. And you know, they don't, kids don't at that age understand what goes into it, obviously. So he was like, when is it coming? When are we getting it? Like, as if we, you know, as if we were rescuing a dog, right? Like, when do we go to the adoption center and rescue my sister? Yeah. Or when's the Amazon package coming in? The the immediacy piece was not fully understood. Yes, exactly. To go back to the question, which was how having a child rock our lives, it needs to be kind of understood that the blessing and the curse of having that first child is your priorities shift for the first time in your life. Like you are, you are the priority when you're a child, you know, you go to college and you're imbued with like, I am the center of the world and everything revolves around me. 
And then you go out into the world and it's like, what can I experience? What can I do? The world is my oyster. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. Then when you make a choice to have a child and the baby comes in, however the baby comes in, that's the first step of your lack of control. You don't control how that baby comes in. And then you don't control anything about that baby's nature when they come out. You can try to meticulously schedule sleep and feeding and play, but there are things that are completely outside of your control. The level of fatigue and overitness and low patience level and frustration and I don't know what's going on and I don't know what to do about this and what the heck is this? No one told me. All of those things like flood you. And once you've gotten one thing under control, something else comes in that no one told you about that you now have to deal with and ride through. And then you deal with that phase. And so, you know, with David saying like, give me one day, it's not like Josh was a problem child either. Um, And it's not like he was hell on wheels and breaking things left, right, and center. None of those things. It was just like, there was always a new thing, a new phase. You're constantly having to reconfigure your focal point, your priority, where you are in the equation. How can you get yourself back? How can you get your life back? Then there's the challenge of how do we get our relationship back? All of those things. So then cut to I'm an actress and I'm on camera and Um, I remember I was nursing Josh. I had a screen test. So that is like a final step in the process. It was between me and one other girl. And I remember my manager called me and like literally breastfeeding Josh, going over the lines with David in Josh's room. And he goes, "I, I really hate that I have to relay this note, but casting would really like to make sure that you just look put together because they know you've had a baby and you just kind of look a little bit like you just had a baby. Mm. Basically, they weren't like, it wasn't like lose weight. It was like, can you wear a fitted top? Because that was a little blousey. And can you get your hair done? Like, can you get a blow dry? And I was like, I like have my baby on my boob. You know, you feel like crap. You feel like you're wearing another human skin suit on top of you. And I was like, "Uh." and he was like, I know you can totally ignore it if you want. And I'm like, I can't ignore it. If I want this job, I cannot ignore it. I now have to go schedule on top of everything, a blowout for my hair. So Then there was planning around pilot season, which is like the busiest casting season to have this baby. Like getting pregnant is never like a, a, you wish it and then it happens. The fact that like us trying to find intimacy or time to have, you know, have sex or people would be like, well, you know, you're never going to get pregnant if you're not like into it and really like in love and enjoying it. And you're like, oh my God. So now I have to have sex and like actually enjoy it and like be in love and connect and look in his eyes. Like, what are we doing? Um, So that was also part of the four and a half year or five and a half year spread. 
I am hearing how Josh was just a regular old kid. And yeah. you know, it is really hard to have this adjustment and this identity shift from being a solo or a coupled person. And then you've got this new thing that sucks up a lot of time, energy, and patience. And when you're trying to pursue your ongoing interests, your career, your relationship, it is compromised. And so it's yeah. overwhelming and out of control and it's not easy. Yes, correct. Yeah. And I think having a second kid, and I, I will say to them, but also say to Sally in terms of like still trying to heal her her inner kid who had a brother appear all of a sudden and made her feel like, oh, I must not have been enough. That like love is entirely infinite. It is entirely, and two kids, you have more love than you thought you had before. Energy is not, <laughs> you know, the energy, no, it's sleep dependent and coffee dependent. And are you doing something that's feeding you back? Or are you just giving out? Like there's only X amount of energy in a day. You can schedule pickups and do all of that. But the energy you have in your body is you don't get more of that. Yeah. That's definitely well said. And I'm also hearing you, Sally, talk about how your career as an actor, you have to take into account all these other factors that maybe somebody who wasn't an actor wouldn't deal with. And the comment or the suggestion from your manager, I would have probably lost my mind if that had been the suggestion at that point in time. And in case it comes up and he watches this, my manager is, I love him to death. And it wasn't from him. He was cushioning the note from casting. I think that every woman, whether they're in front of the camera or not, to a certain extent is beating themselves up about how long it is taking them versus some other idea that they have of some other woman who did it better coming back from having a baby. Uh, no matter what, no matter if you're behind a desk and like uh, no one sees you, it doesn't matter. Like there are ideas that you have of how much better someone else has done it and how you are failing. Yeah, that's a good point. And my apologies to your manager who is serving as the conduit of this. What yes, yeah. sounds like a also like societal message that's totally. pushed and how you're describing that you don't have to be in front of the camera to have these feelings of maybe inadequacy or maybe like I should be doing something, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a different way or yeah. I'm, am I good enough or all these opportunities for comparisons with other yeah. other moms and dads out there. Yes, exactly. This comes up even later too. Um, one of my, uh, one of Chloe's best friends, she's a girl and her mom is one of my very close friends. And so, and that is her first child. So my second child lines up with her first child. And before she, before she had her second her daughter would interact with boys in that class in a way the boys would be like rambunctious or they would say something or do something or they would push or they would whatever. She was just so outraged at these boys. Like she's like, I mean, we we have to say something like he just he just pushed her and he blah, 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 blah. 
And I remember because I had had my experience with Josh, I was like, you don't know what someone else's experience is. Like you can't come at the parent of that boy as if they have failed in every other way because you don't have a boy. You don't know what that's like. I can tell you that's just a boy. They're not messing up. They're not not nailing it the way that you are. They just have a a boy. Um, And hilariously, she now has a boy and she's like, Every day, the words that you told me come back in my head. And I'm like, oh, my God, she knew. She just knew. (laughs) So there's always this comparison of I'm worse than this person or I'm way better than this person. And it's like, just stay in your lane and don't worry about what someone else is doing. Like, check in with your partner and check in with your children and check in with your children's teachers. How is that all going? Some years ago, I sort of came up with the philosophy of before you judge anybody, live longer. Yeah. And then the other one, which uh, someone in my dad's office years ago had on his door of his office, your opinion of me is none of my business. Uh. And that one's always been great. So I'm going to try as much as I can not to judge you. It's what our brains do. And it's great. You know, we can tell when something is high and low so we don't fall down. Like we differentiate. It's important. But as much as I can, I'm not going to judge you. And also, please keep your opinion about the job I'm doing to yourself. I don't need that. I'm already doing it myself. I'm already working. Obviously, we need to communicate. But someone outside, any notion that I'm doing better or worse than another parent isn't going to help me at all. Yeah. So unsolicited advice, not helpful. And yeah. I heard you say, Sally, you said the expression a couple of times of what people didn't tell me or this new thing happened that I didn't know was going to happen. And that really rings true to me and my experience because I feel like I always thought, okay, I would have a family or have children and that this is how it would be. But I never really thought about what it would really be like. And nobody ever really says what it really will be like, which is part of my motivation in doing some of this stuff to kind of just normalize the hard parts of it all. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, definitely. I remember um, I did have the instant bond with Josh the second that he came out. Um, the birth was really easy. There was no trauma. The pregnancy had been really easy. He was perfectly healthy. Like it was, uh, it all went like a dream. And I had him and I was like, I'm good. Like, I, I get this. I get this. I will say though, that when we were discharged from the hospital, And I'm like standing there holding him and he starts crying because, you know, under some circumstances with some babies, they're so like out of it after the trauma of the birth that they really don't cry for a couple days. Like it's almost like it's almost like you're in the hospital with anyone around to help and they don't do anything. And then as soon as you get them home, like he said, I remember we were being discharged, David was like getting the car or something. And I'm standing there and he's crying. And I was like, no one told me, what do I do? Like, is there, you know, and me being someone who like 
A plus B equals C. If you tell me to do A plus B, then I expect C to happen. So I'm like, what is the A and B to get this baby to stop crying? Um, and I remember also there were times when um, he was super, he would throw up after I would breastfeed. There was, do you remember that? It would like send me into a tailspin because he was a great breastfeeder. I would feel very successful. I also knew that like how much they ate translated to how well they slept. So my desperate need for him to eat a lot was out of my desperate need for him to sleep so that I could sleep and have some time to myself. And then he would throw it up and I would be like, well, do I feed him again? What do I do? Because now he doesn't have the breast milk in his body and he's not going to sleep. And it was like, not to mention, I hate the smell of throw up and I hate mess. And it would get on my shirt, in my hair, on his onesie that I was constantly having to change. So it was all of those things. And I was like, it would throw me into a complete, like almost children's tantrum of like, you I don't know what to do. Many, it's like failure. It's mess. I need some me time. And now I'm not yeah. going to get it because this baby's not going to sleep. There are so many things you don't hear about. And just as like a, a bow on this and to address what you said, I think there's no way that anyone can accurately describe what it is like because it is never the same for anyone. It's basically like someone has to describe to you what your child is going to be like based on their child. There is no child that's the same. There is no parent that's the same. And there is no child-parent dynamic that's ever going to be the same. So there's no way to describe what your experience is going to be because it's different for literally every person and every baby. Yeah. So a snowflake experience. Everybody is yes. different. There's not one. Oh, that's so well put. That should go in a book. <laughs> that should go in a book. If it's not already in a book, you have the first line of your second book. How will uh, trademark that later this afternoon? Great. Perfect. Go for it. So let me ask you a couple of other questions. And one is, I'm hearing a lot of really good advice and hindsight moments here. Are, are there things that you feel like you really do wish you had known ahead of your snowflakes coming in to this world? I will say that going from what Sally just said in terms of every experience being your own, a snowflake experience, any time that I did find a a connection with somebody else. My stepdad said, oh yeah, with his first son that he used to count to 500 also. And I was like, oh yeah, when you're walking around counting to 500, like, yeah, that's interesting. That's a weird thing. Yeah. So the, there are moments like that, and this doesn't really answer your question, but there but moments of connection with other people when you go, oh yeah, me too. That felt and still feels really, really good. Yeah. So I didn't ask you about what your network was like at the time, if you felt like you had good support or if you felt like you could have used more. But I'm hearing you say that just connecting with other people who have shared experiences felt connecting. Absolutely. And now you put it like that, and that's that should and could well extend to anything, not just parenting. Yeah. Like the yeah, shared experience, it feels good. Yeah. I mean, sleep deprivation. I think that that's really, if not number one, it's tied for first. You're not getting enough sleep. 
you're getting the sleep that you need in this moment and you definitely adjust and are able to get more done in the day on less sleep for the period of time that that you are sleep deprived. Um, my friend, Chris, Chris Chatham, he had his first kid a couple years before ours. And I remember going by and dropping off um, some smoothies or something at their house. And he opened the door. I was like, what's happening in there? He was just sunken and just like, it was like the haunted house from some Nickelodeon movie. We're just like, it was just dark in there. And it was like, oh my God. And I was like, here, man. He's like, thanks. Thank you. Okay. And he went back in and closed the door. (laughs) Two years later, I connected with that moment. I was like, oh, that was crazy, man. But now I'm here and now I connect with that. So even across time there, I felt a little less zombie on our own because I could remember that zombie moment from a friend who'd had a kid before me. Yeah, that's good. I can totally visualize the whole scene. And let me just shift gears quickly. Sally, I have Instagram stalked you. I'd imagine self-care is important to you because I've seen you sweat it out to the Tracy Anderson workouts or Tracy Anderson method. And first of all, you look amazing. And second of all, you are really strong. Thank you. That's so important. Thank you for saying that. It's, it's amazing. And so I'm thinking about what was it like for you as a person who values taking care of yourself? And I think a lot of people do, um, to go from a place where my guess is you probably could go to classes uh, on a whim uh, before kids. And it's been like as a working parent and a parent of newborns to have to manage that piece. So I have a, a bunch, a bunch of things about that. I would say, yes, self-care is important, but don't stress about society's imposition of the need for self-care above your ability to actually do that self-care. Give yourself time for there to be no time for anything. If you're not doing a face scrub or doing a warm steam or whatever for a year, more, whatever, it's okay. You're doing something else for the survival of another being. I'm currently five and a half years post my second baby. Um, And I think, again, that was part of our thing about like how long it took for us to have that second baby is like we had just when Josh was four, four and a half, just started getting our lives like humming and singing and like having a date night and getting to do my hair and like, oh, I actually have the time to really put into an audition. Or if I book a job out of town, we've got it handled. All of those things um, when Josh was four, four and a half. And he, and at that age too, he has developed some self-sufficiency. Yes. Yes. So the idea of something being important can't be an additional stress for you, or it's completely counterintuitive to the idea of self-care. 
Now, for me, be it as an actress, being it as a woman who as a teenager or a young 20s had an eating disorder and I need to be fit and exercise very important, someone who has very high cortisol, which is a stress hormone, and one of the best ways to alleviate that is with exercise. Whatever it is, exercise is my non-negotiable. I would say to anyone, having a supportive spouse, partner, who understands what your non-negotiable is. Maybe your non-negotiable is sitting by yourself for 20 minutes with your coffee. Who knows what your non-negotiable is? Maybe your non-negotiable is every night a warm bath by yourself. Whatever that is, express that to your partner and hopefully your partner will be like, I get it. I get it. What he does and how he, without a word, allows me to exercise every day. It is a blessing. I'm so grateful and I'm so lucky. He also knows I am a raging bitch. (laughs) If I don't get it, I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad parent. My patience is zero. I will come at him with questions of, am I fat? I feel fat. I feel gross. I'm disgusting. Why did you make that? I can't eat this. All of those things will happen if I don't get my hour of workout. Years ago, uh, she was getting a blood panel and a doctor looked at her cortisol and goes, this is like you're being chased by a bear at all times. And she, all times. And she goes, mm-hmm. Yeah, that tracks. And he was like, well, that's not how you feel. And she was like, yeah, all the time, like forever. And he was like, oh, well, that's not, this isn't like, this is above typical. And so I was like, oh, interesting. Okay take some of the halo off my head, like your non-negotiable is also like medically supported, but I can see how clearly your day is better if you've spent the time sweating really hard and it like spending that cortisol. A lot of partners Now that you say that, that, I think I'm going to say a warm bath at night is my non-negotiable. That's fine if you need a warm bath at night. I haven't taken a bath in years. But the tagline of it is... Finding where self-care fits is kind of the first most important self-care tip. And then the second is make sure that your partner understands the role of self-care in your life, in your marriage, and in your family's well-being. Yeah, I am fortunate to have a spouse that also recognizes similar to you. If I don't move my body in some way, I will not be a great partner, parent, and I will be, you know, um, really hard to be around. So it's nice for one to have the insight of that and then to have a partner who recognizes that, okay, let's get this uh, non-negotiable squared away. So let me ask you before we wrap up, what are you working on now? Um, anything that's coming down the pipeline for you guys professionally, personally, that is exciting that we would want to know about? I've diversified even more. So I like, I, I'm an actor, but I'm also a writer and an editor. Um, and I play a bunch of instruments. And so I've done some music stuff as well. I And you're actively doing all three of those things, not the instruments, but actively doing I'm, all three of those things right now. Yeah, I'm editing a music video right now. Um, I have uh, an episode of Quantum Leap, the reboot, that's that's going to be airing in a week or two. Um, there was a lot of fun to shoot. I have a writing project that is in development. You know, that's in development. 
Well, I'm excited to hear how it all goes for you. And then what are your what are your instruments? What what do you play? Oh my God, what aren't the instruments? I play guitar, piano, and banjo. But you also well, but you all but you also can play like all other things. I can play drum. I mean, I can drum. When we were um, dating and he was living with his roommate, I remember I opened his closet and I was like, Oh my god, what is that? What is that? And he was like, Oh, oh, it's my oboe. I was like, what? Why do you have an oboe? He's like, oh, I play the oboe. I'm like, you're lucky you're cute. That's really hard. I also have bagpipes, but I've never gotten them fully assembled. So that doesn't really, like just owning it doesn't mean. um, And then there's a trumpet around here somewhere. Yeah. Wow. Um, This is impressive. And where can I hear your music? In our house. (laughs) Early dating, he had me come with him to open mics. And I was like, how long are we going to do this? I'm super supportive. We're still dating. I'm interested in getting a ring at some point. How long? How many times? Not even like whether mine was good or not. Like an open mic, so it's a. It, it, can, be, it can be a rough place. I was like, just put this in the ledger of things I've done for you along the the journey. Fortunately, she didn't say that. I sing and play guitar on the series Nashville. There's a TV movie out there that I sing on, but it's mostly. It's yeah. mostly here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, which is, which is fun. Which also now that I'm looking around, I'm like, yeah, we need more like family music time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Family. That'll be great. Yeah. 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 You're much like my husband who has created a music room and with a musical instrument cave area. Ooh, I love Don't awesome. get mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's they great. would. They would. That's great. All right, Sally, let's hear it. What's on uh, the agenda for your future personal professional life? Um, I have two things in development. Our, our industry has really changed so much um, post-strike, even more so. Um, and I think both of us just kind of got very tired of the wait for an appointment, audition for the part, and then go through the machinations to get the part. And that door was just like, it was kind of a swinging door that often felt very closed. And so I think both of us were like, we have to find a way around this one door. Like this one door cannot be the only way to get to what we want. So I think both of us are um, using the amount of time we've been in the industry, the amount of people we've worked with, what we've learned of the business, and we're trying to kind of, you know, circumnavigate that one door to get to telling stories and being part of stories and playing characters. That's awesome. I think that sounds like a nice way to have a bit more control in an industry that probably uh, can feel pretty out of control. Yes. Well, I thank you guys for taking time to talk to me and walking through your personal and professional lives. Y'all are fun and y'all are a cute little duo there. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This was great.